Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Tap your neighbor a high five and tell him I'm glad to be in church. Amen. Some can reach higher than others. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. The book of Psalms, chapter 33, and verse number 3, says, Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Let that soak in for just a moment. It's a good verse. Psalms chapter 150, the very last book in the Psalms of David, says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. So you don't even have to be a musician to get that one right. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. We do. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. And if you're feeling left out, he closes the last verse with saying, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise you the Lord. You may be seated this morning. I'm going to uh, try my absolute best this morning to complete this three-part series. This is a very exhaustive subject. So it's something that you could just carry as long as you wanted to. Uh, we don't necessarily want to. <laughs> Amen. Uh, if you're awake, you probably got that this morning. But uh, Anyway, uh, we, we're trying to hit the tops of the trees on some things that are matters of importance. I want to take a moment to recap what we've reviewed so far in the last two weeks. In week number one, we talked about the purpose of music and singing. Uh, We looked at the educational benefits, the health benefits, the spiritual nature of of worship, of music and singing, the importance of group singing. And uh, might I remind you, if you weren't here, you get a glimpse of this. If you were here, let me remind you that in in order to gain all of the benefits of this, you do not have to be talented enough to be able to sing. That's the beauty of this. It's the beauty of worship and praise and singing to God. All you got to do is open your mouth. It's not about your talent at that stage. It's just giving God what He's given you so that you can give Him praise. Uh, We went through some polling results of what uh, music and singing meant to some worship leaders, pastors, and musicians. Week number two, we looked at more in-depth information on the spiritual nature of music and singing, both in the church and out of the church. Uh, I gave you a little bit of a sampling of backmasking. I gave you a sampling of some lyrics in the forward direction uh, that uh, are of various uh, spiritual natures. A sampling of various styles of music in the church. Uh, we closed our service last week with that, with uh, Brother Larry Carter on video uh, playing a little bit of blues style. Uh, matter of fact, he was saying he had lost the blues. So, uh, interesting thing about Brother Carter, he was a backslider. And he had actually played in the bars, the blues band, and uh, was quite, uh, quite the guitarist for a number of years, still is, but uh, in the world, in the secular environment. Uh, and uh, many nights, I've heard him say many nights that uh, he didn't know how he got where he got. I've heard some of you say that in days gone by. Uh, so uh, he came back to God in the late 80s and decided to give God what he had been given the world. That's important. 
So today, we're going to try to close this series with reviewing more about the spiritual nature of music and singing. We're going to talk about music in the church, what is acceptable, what is not. Music, famous musicians and singers, I told you last week we would discuss their connection to the church, the origin of musical talent, and how to determine what is okay to listen to or not. And then we're going to close it off with a note on the next generation. The spiritual nature of music... Uh, we see this interwoven through every topic we discuss about this subject of music and singing and worship and praise. Uh, it is all spiritual. It's all connected. You see it uh, laced throughout the Word of God. And that is the single greatest point to understand out of this entire three weeks. That when you come to church and you praise God, uh, you're not wasting your time. If, if you don't get anything else out of anything I've said or done over the last three weeks, I hope you at least go away with that point. You're not wasting your time when you clap your hands. You're not wasting your time when you lift your voice to God in song and praise and adoration to God because there is something that happens in your life. You may not even recognize it at the time. But I guarantee you there's something that is happening to you. The Spirit of God begins to move through that and then it sets a stage for us to be able to hear the Word of God. If you were to be uh, scheduled for surgery tomorrow, uh, I can guarantee you, I, I, I feel safe in saying this morning that if you were going under the knife as it were and uh, before the surgeon was to uh, pull out the scalpel and lay it to your flesh, I feel confident this morning that you would want some sedative. I think we would want some anesthetic that would help uh, not only dull the pain, but get rid of it for a little while. And then you, yeah, I'm getting the thumbs up from Brother Heath. Uh, and then when you come out of that and you're all stitched up and bandaged up and you're laying in recovery and you start coming to and you're all kind of, you know, you're kind of woozy and uh, I've had my family really seize an opportunity right there to, to really have some fun. Uh, but you, you just, you know, you're not really on earth yet. You're not in reality yet. You're still feeling pretty good. You've been cut open, but you're still feeling good because you don't feel the pain yet. Well, I would liken this morning, if you'll accept this analogy, worship, music, and singing in the preliminary part of the service is your anesthetic to the Word of God. Because... We need the Word of God in our life. But there's one thing about the Bible. It's black and white. It doesn't know that this is 2014. Matter of fact, I don't really know that it cares that we live in a society that wants to be so politically correct that nothing gets done. So when we step out of reality out there to reality in here sometimes, if we're not careful, uh, that can be quite a shock to the system. Because out there, there's a lot of gray matter. Out there, there's a lot of, well, maybe this, or well, maybe that, or uh, I just don't know. In here, we know. Because we accept what His Word says. And if His Word says it, we take that as gospel truth. Amen? So it's important. If you, if you do not participate uh, in any fashion at all in worship, then it, what, what's going to happen to you when the Word of God comes to your heart and into your life, it will be a shock to you. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself offended. Well, I'm giving you a recipe this morning to get rid of the offense. Worship first. Because when you get into the presence of God, and then He hits you with His Word, it's a little more palatable. And then a good altar service is like that recovery woozy feeling. Where, where you're, you're, you're just coming out of what you got hit with, and you really don't feel all the pain yet, but you know you're still feeling pretty good. So there is, a, there is an absolute importance in spiritual nature to what we do from the very first chord that is played, from the very first word that is sung. Uh, it's an, and it's important that we all participate in that. 
The beauty of, I've told you the last couple of weeks of things that I, I don't like about our screens, and I am a tech lover, but the one thing that I do like about it is you don't have to know the song to sing. You're not bound by a songbook like we were years ago where you had to sit there and read and follow along. Here you can look up, see some words, you can give some words to God and just keep on going. It's a good thing. In worship, it is as if we're facing the enemy head on. The act of singing and playing instruments in worship, music, I told you last week, is a vehicle by which people are moved from one emotion to the other. The act of being emotional is not worship. But you cannot worship without involving your emotions. It's impossible. You may not cry, but that doesn't mean you don't have emotions. And I know a lot of people that don't cry in their humanity, but you get them in the presence of God, there's something that you just can't help sometimes. Amen. You say, but I I'm shy. And that's, that's just not me. I'm just not a loud person. I know a lot of people that are loud when they're not in church. They're loud people when they're not in church. But you put them in a church setting, they're, they, they clam up. Some people are shy or claim to be. But what happens to you if you're walking down the sidewalk or the driveway and before you reach your front door, somewhere between the car and the front door comes along a good old long six-foot black snake. Now, uh, un unless you've got a shovel or a hoe in your hand and you're equipped, and unless you like snakes, if you do, we'll pray for you. I can, I can relate to you this morning what my reaction would be. I'm going to come away screaming like a girl. I don't like them. I might be in my suit and tie and all poised and reserved, but once I see that, I'm going to scream and I'm going to run and I'm going to do like old Aunt Jemima used to do when the mouse ran through the kitchen. You know. I don't like it. That's a good test to see exactly how shy you are. That's emotion. So you will show emotion. It's just a matter of when and where and what kind. It's a matter of what it takes to get you willing to be emotional. How important is it? When we recognize the importance of God in our life, we recognize He is important enough to be emotional about. Music sets the tone. Singing sets the tone for whatever activity you're participating in. We covered that last week. So what is acceptable music? Before we dive too far into this this morning, I'm not going to dive super deep, but before we dive too far, I, I want to kind of, if we can, pick up a little bit from where we left off last week. Uh, and uh, Sister McGee is going to help me out here. We're going to go to video number seven. It's just a very brief clip, uh, but I want you to listen to this just for a moment. Thank you. So I, I want you to just listen to that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a guitar and a band, and as they're playing some riffs, and, da, 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 and it's sounding all good and everything. But I want you to just kind of get an image in your mind of what that band is. If you would just open up your creativity. I told you last week this series is a little uh, unconventional in terms of regular teaching. It's a little bit more on the practical side. But I want you to just think for a moment, what is that? And now we're going to play you the video portion of that, and I want to show you what it is.
Thank you. Now, I did that just for this purpose for teaching alone because I want us to understand this morning that we need not judge our style of music by the world. I talked to you a little bit about that last week from where I came from, and some of you looked at me like I had five heads. Uh, so maybe, maybe I'm the only one that's ever experienced that. But uh, if we're not careful, we will judge what we do in here by what the world does. And I, I want to stop here and make a very bold declaration to you this morning that the church did not get its music and singing from the world. The world got what they have from the church. Well, why do you say that? I, I say that because I know what people's responses are when they hear, and again, we're using guitar as the reference because that's the most common one that's balked at. I know what people's responses are when they hear that. People in general, I'm not saying you. You have to decide if you're one of them or not. But it, it's very common that people just, they kind of clam up and they say, oh, well, that sounds too worldly for the church. I, I contend quite the opposite this morning. Now, I realize you can carry anything too far. But in good taste, we need to understand this morning that everything you hear in the world got its start with church roots. And that's important for us to understand this morning. So, this idea of, of changing some things just to make it right for the church is not necessarily correct because we've never been in the back seat to the world. And I want us to understand that this morning because this goes back to another thing that we talked about last week is you're not always going to like the style. But your opinion, I say this carefully this morning with all love and respect, your opinion of the style doesn't mean it's wrong. That's just a, a, a fact of life that we need to understand. So we were first... The church was first. God ordained it from the beginning. From that, I want to go straight into some famous musicians and singers. I want to help connect the dots for you this morning on why I'm saying they got what they have from the church. So here's a look at some very popular names who took their music and singing directly from their church influence and took it to the world. We will start with none other than Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley is quoted as saying, the very first thing I could remember in my life was sitting on my mama's lap in church. I didn't know much, but I did know one thing for sure. All I wanted to do was run down that aisle and go sing with the choir. It was just something I had to do. The people in that old church might seem strange to some folks, but they know how to be free. They're not afraid to move their bodies, and that's where I got it from. When I started singing, I just came. It, I did what just came natural, and what they taught me. He's referring to his ever so popular leg shaking. Now I'm not saying you have to go around shaking your leg in order to worship, but he did what he saw in church. Elvis Presley received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at the age of nine, speaking in tongues. His pastor played the guitar and showed him some chords and some runs on the guitar, and that's what started his musical journey. At the core of Elvis's musical talent and ability was his love for gospel music. It was where he privately found comfort. There's a few people who give public credit to Elvis for his influence on their life and their music career, such as Jerry Lee Lewis, Mick Jagger, and the Beatles, just to name a few. So they were influenced in their styles by someone else who was influenced by the church. There are other stories cited that tell of Elvis standing in church to give the interpretation to a message in tongues before the fame. And others that speak of him spending time after gospel concerts, sitting in his limousine with the windows up and the doors locked, speaking in tongues for an extended period of time because he had a connection with the songs he was singing. Because it all started in church. 
Ray Charles, considered to be the pioneer of a new style of music in the 50s and 60s that became known as soul music, did so by blending gospel music along with blues and jazz. Axl Rose, the famous singer of the group Guns N' Roses, some of you will recognize that one, he had the influence of a Pentecostal church from a young age. As a young boy, he went to a Pentecostal church three to eight times per week. As a teenager, he taught Sunday school. Now, if you know anything about that group and don't know anything about his history, that, that should be quite the shock because you would not assume that the lead singer of Guns N' Roses was a Pentecostal Sunday school teacher. Ladies and gentlemen, let me stop right there and just tell you this morning, you lose your song, you've lost everything. He sang in the church choir from the age of five. But by the time he was 20 years old in Lafayette, Indiana, he was already known as a habitual criminal. Tony Braxton, one of the top chart climbers in the 90s, was also the daughter of an apostolic preacher. D'Angelo was born the son of a Pentecostal preacher. His family discovered his piano playing talent at the age of three. And shortly after that, he started playing the Hammond organ in church. He was so short as a three, four-year-old boy, he couldn't even reach the pedals. He had to stand up on them. Avril Levine started singing in a Pentecostal children's choir when she was two. The website of her church states that their assembly is the home of the fire and the Holy Ghost power of Almighty God. Her parents supported her talent by buying her a microphone, drum kit, keyboard, several guitars, and even converted their basement into a studio. This is a young girl. Some of you may not recognize her name. But when she was 14 years old, they started taking her to perform at county fairs, singing songs no longer by church, singing songs by country artists such as Garth Brooks, the Dixie Chicks, and Shania Twain. What was her original influence? The church. Now, I pose a question to you this morning, especially parents. Why on earth would parents who start their children out in a church choir start putting them on stage at a 14-year-old to sing worldly songs? We need to understand why we do what we do. Katy Perry, very popular these days, grew up in a family with Pentecostal connection and has been quoted openly discussing the topic of speaking in tongues and to put it as she put it, channeling the spirit. The origin of musical talent started in the church. We need to celebrate the gifts and talent and anointing that God has given us in our music and in our singing together. If we don't showcase what God has given us the right way, the world will. That's, that's proven itself. Because they're always knocking on the door for another. Always. Always knocking on the door for another. Waiting for someone to leave their roots. Waiting for someone to sacrifice what they have for a moment's fame. When I was 18 years old, uh, my, my father became connected with a southern gospel group. I've told this story before, but it's been several years. But he became connected with the Southern Gospel Group who were, who were apostolic, who started traveling several of the churches in our area and had them come and hold some singings and some singing revivals. He did some preaching. He was a better singer than he was a preacher, but uh, I've had people say the same thing about me, so I'm not sure what to comment on that. But uh, they, uh, they, they got kind of close and to the point where that they made me an offer at the age of 18 years old to travel with them on the road full-time as a keyboardist. Now I can tell you, as an 18-year-old, uh, the, the lights of Nashville looked pretty bright at that point. They were already on the top 20 charts of Southern Gospel groups in that year, which I believe was 1990, 1991. That was very appealing, Brother Terry. Uh, I, was, I was in awe of that offer, and I was very upset whenever my father and my mother looked at me square in the eyes and said, you're not going. Not going. Yes, I pulled the typical teenage why. 
And the answer I got, you're not going. They didn't tell me the answer. Until about six months later, when the news became very public, not only was he cheating on his wife and having an affair, his affair was with a prostitute that he was sending money to to support as a second family. And that's just one piece of information. Now what mom and dad saw was different than what I saw. But what they saw was right. We, we still need people to stand up for what's right and what's wrong. Even in the face of difficulty. Uh, we, uh, we try around here, we try our best to make attempts to, to make our musical and worship experience the best that we can. And we ask God to anoint that. And we want to do the best we can by offering God our talents that He has given us. Because I believe today that anointing does not exclude talent. It supports it. Anointing supports talent. Uh, it's, it's nearly impossible to discuss the subject of music and singing without discussing a, a particular line item on the outline uh, that can be somewhat sensitive. So I'm going to dive into this very carefully and then I'm going to jump back out of it real fast or as fast as I can. But I, I want to do, and again, in the mode of teaching, I want to do some things this morning to give us some understanding. But if there's ever anything that I hear, and I don't, I don't want to bring up anything that would become an issue, but anything I've ever heard in the apostolic church that has ever been an issue, it's the subject of volume. Uh, and I believe it's just because of lack of understanding. More than anything. And here's why I say that. Number one, we never intend to do anything here that is over the top or offensive to anyone. Never intend to. Uh, the volume of music and singing and preaching that we have, uh, we try to set as a standard on our soundboard and then we try our best to adapt to that. I thought maybe that would just help break the ice just a little bit. Uh, I think he's a funny looking little dude. Here's something that everybody needs to understand. Every person that is here absorbs sound. It's just a little science for you. So if you set your sound for 90 people and 50 show up, you're fighting a losing battle already because already it sounds a little loud. You set your sound for 90 people and 150 show up, you're struggling to listen. Because everybody absorbs the sound. So it's a difficult balance when you go from one extreme to the other. It's difficult. So we try to adjust the quickest we can. If the location you're sitting is too loud, then you may want to consider sitting somewhere else. But here's a couple of checkpoints for you to consider before log logging your complaint. Number one, do you have a headache? I'm serious. Because if you have a headache, everything sounds loud. Number two, are you in a bad mood? Because if you are, nothing seems right. That's just an obvious place to point your attention. One, and, and I don't have this one on my list, but I, I need to interject it here, is we need to compare to what were you expecting. You know, it's kind of like when you're expecting to drink something hot and you drink it and it's cold, it shocks you. Or vice versa. If you come to an apostolic church expecting it to be quiet, then it don't matter what we do, it's going to sound loud. We don't believe in quiet church. I read you some verses of scripture that talk about making a loud noise. So you have to weigh your expectations against reality. Uh, another checkpoint for you to consider is how loud do you play your favorite TV show? <clears throat> I 
Is it really a volume issue? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I've been to more camp meetings and conferences in my life than probably what I can remember. And a whole lot of them, if not all of them, they loud. They're, they're, they're loud. Especially you go to NYC. And I don't wanna, I'd love for everybody in this church to go just for the experience once. But uh, if you go to NYC, in order to expect to cast the volume out to three plus thousand people, you've got to get a little volume in your speakers. So it's loud. There's times I've looked at my wife, believe it or not, me. Okay? I've looked at my wife and said, Woohoo, that's loud. But you know what? Here's the thing it didn't stop me from worshiping, it wasn't a focal point simply because things are going to happen. And usually whenever I made that statement, I was just a few feet away from the speaker. Uh, that happened to me at camp meeting uh, this year uh, in July. We were, uh, we were going up, the, the ministry was summoned up to pray, and uh, I was walking on that left side, Bishop, and when you walk by that stack of speakers there, and I was walking by and I was just thinking to myself, I hope I get past this speaker before they say anything else. And I was right by that speaker, and I don't know who it was. It may have been Bishop St. Clair, but I heard somebody say, Praise the Lord! But you know what? He didn't do that because I was standing in front of the speaker. I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But that's all right. Things happen. It wasn't a conspiracy against me. It didn't stop my worship. It didn't stop my praise. It may have, it may have temporarily given me a commercial break. But it didn't stop. I found in my study that if our time in worship is truly spent giving attention to God and giving less attention to the things we personally don't like, will be less, less likely to focus on petty things. If our attention is going to Him, if you perceive the volume level is not what you personally think it should be, just give all your attention to Him. You'll just not even worry about it. And if it's not loud enough for you, same thing. You just won't even notice it. Interestingly enough, though, and again, I'm just I'm giving you thing. I want to provoke your thinking this morning, the biblical way. I've seen plenty of people who didn't like church volume. They'll go to concerts. Now, a concert, by definition, is not necessarily a rock concert. It can be a southern gospel band. It can be your favorite quartet. It doesn't matter who it is. If it's a gathering of people there to hear someone sing, uh, they like it. That's why I think one of our checkpoints needs to be we measure our expectations against what reality is. Don't expect church to be quiet. And if you don't expect it to be quiet, then maybe it won't feel Here's another thing that I give you just for your, uh, your educational journey, for your, for your uh, understanding. And that is, as musicians, I speak about us specifically at this point. As musicians, uh, we feel just as passionate about our God as you do. So there's times if we're feeling really excited, might hit it a little harder. Because that's our method of praise. Tapping on the keys up here, for me, is in most cases my form of dancing and hand lifting and hand clapping. Same for the drummer. Same for the guitarist. That is our worship. And we're trying to channel all of our energy and worship into doing that the best we can and as passionate as we can so that God can get some glory out of it. So if we can come together, allow us the opportunity to do that. You 
take up the opportunity to do what we can't do. Clap. Leap. Run. Dance. Sing for joy. Well, you can do that. Yeah, we, we can. We can. But it's got to be in the right environment. Because the responsibility rests on our shoulders so great that if we just stop every time we wanted to worship God differently, you'd completely come to a screeching halt. I'm, I'm serious. And that would completely destroy the move of God. And then it becomes a distraction. So we have to be very careful. So we, we pour our energies into worshiping God that way. But if you're focused on worship, if you're focused on worshiping God, offenses won't come. Nothing will get in your way of giving God praise. So how do you turn? Now I'm jumping out of that pool and we're on to something else. How do you determine what is okay to listen to or not? Rule number one. Pastor touched on some of this very, very, uh, very good last week in the close of the service. Uh, I, I want to piggyback on the back of that this morning and say that a rule number one is develop an understanding of what you're listening to and who you're letting feed it to you. That's important. Uh, after last week's lesson, I was asked by someone if backmasking had been done on any other styles of music other than rock and roll. And my answer to this was uh, that there's not a whole lot of data to support it. There's a lot of varying opinions, and that's why I use backmasking very carefully. Uh, rock music was originally, back in the 80s, defined as, quote-unquote, devil's music. So it became a target for many people, and rightfully so, based on the, just the samples that we saw last week. But I say that to say this this morning, that it, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what label it is. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you can or cannot play it backwards and, and hear things that you don't want to hear. If the words that you're pumping into your spirit are not conducive to your relationship with God, you do not need to be listening to it. So it does not mean that everything outside of rock and roll is okay. Alright? As odd and eerie as backmasking is, I find lyrics forward to be the truest indicator of what I'm listening to. Along with what the message the band is sending. Before we go any further on this, let's see what the Bible has to say on this subject. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, here's a good step-by-step -step gauge for you. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue or if there be any praise, think, everybody say think, think on these things. Think. If we would do this before we act more frequently, we would have less errors in our life. We need to stop and think. Studies have been conducted on the demographic impact of music, and they were split into two age groups, 64 and 13. As one would expect, both have a wide variance of musical uh, appetite. However, the most surprising piece of information from this data was the listening habits of the average 64-year-old. The top artists listened to by the average 13-year-old are all current chart toppers. Definitely people who still have a pulse. No questions. The top artists listened to by the average 64-year-old. Eight out of 20 of them are the exact same groups that 13-year-olds listen to. Interesting. There's an obvious divide and an obvious overlap. Just as a side note, if the world can overcome the generation gap in their music style, 
surely we can too. The top two artists listened to currently by the demographic of 64-year-olds, the top two in order, are Bruno Mars and Elvis Presley. The top two artists listened to by 13-year-olds in order is One Direction and Bruno Mars. Now, just because everybody's doing it, don't make it right. So let's look at these groups and see what they're representing. We've already covered Elvis Presley. Bruno Mars released a single in 2012 called Locked Out of Heaven, in which the song declares, I'm just going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you lyrics. Okay? We are in a 13 and up category this morning in this congregation. Lyrics. And if 13-year-olds are listening to it, surely we can talk about it in church. Surely we need to. He says in the song, Locked Out of Heaven, Never had much faith in love or miracles. Never want to put my heart on the line. But swimming in your world is something spiritual. I'm born again every time you spend the night. Because your sex takes me to paradise. Because you make me feel like I've been locked out of heaven. You bring me to my knees. You make me testify. You can make a sinner change his ways. Open up your gates because I can't see. I can't wait to see the light. And right there is where I want to stay. 64-year-olds are listening to that. And 13-year-olds are listening to that. Other songs penned by Mars have cursings far beyond what I can begin to display in this setting this morning. One Direction. Their biographies real, reveal more about their claim to fame than they do their character. Their young boy band. So let's look at their lyrics to determine what type of guys they are and what they're feeding our young people. They have a song called Up All Night. The lyrics say, it feels like we've been living in fast forward. Another moment passing by, the party's ending, but now it's now or never. Nobody's going home tonight. Katy Perry's on replay. She's on replay. DJ got the floor to shake. People going all the way. Yeah, all the way. I'm still wide awake. I want to stay up all night and jump around until we see the sun. I want to stay up all night and find a girl to tell her she's the one. Now, do you really think he means it? Hold on to the feeling and don't let it go because we got the floor now. Get out of control. I want to stay up all night and do it all with you. Song. They don't know about us. People say we shouldn't be together. We're too young to know about forever. But I say they don't know what they're they talking about. Because this love is only getting stronger, so I don't want to wait any longer. I just want to tell the world that you're mine. They don't know about the things we do. They don't know about the I love yous. But I bet, if, I bet you if they only knew, they will just be jealous of us. They don't know about the up all nights. They don't know I've waited all my life. Just to find a love that feels right. Just one touch and I was a believer. Every day it gets a little sweeter. They don't know what we do best. That's between you, me and you, our little secret. Do you want your 13-year-old listening to that? These are the things we need to think about. These are lyrics forward. This tells you a whole lot about the character of what you're listening to. One last song. It's called Kiss You. Oh, I just want to take you anywhere that you like. We can go out any day, any night. Baby, I'll take you there, take you there. Oh, tell me how to turn your love on. You can get anything that you want. Baby, just shout it out, shout it out. So tell me, girl, if every time we touch, you get this kind of rush. If you don't want to take this slow, if you just want to take me home, let me say yeah and let me kiss you. This is the number one top artist listened to by 13-year-olds. The boys singing these lyrics were born between 1991 and 1994. They're kids themselves. We need to understand what we're allowing into our minds and our children. Parents are the gatekeepers for what your children listen to. We need to not only understand why we're worshiping God when we're coming to church, but we need to develop an understanding and some rules to live by so that God can protect us from the beggarly elements of the world 
that can so easily seize us through the power of music. We need to understand it. That's why the Bible says whatsoever things are of a good report. Think on these things. Good report. Think on these. What you, what you listen to is not innocent. It has a lasting mental, emotional, and spiritual connection that has a definite impact on your life and your children's life. We need to be concerned about the next generation. And we need to look, adults, and make sure that we are setting the pattern for the next generation. I, uh, I, I asked permission to talk to this this morning because I, di I didn't want to embarrass anyone or, or speak out of turn. But uh, for several weeks now, I don't know exactly how long, but for several weeks now, uh, Landon Johnson has been taking guitar lessons. And I've seen a video clip or two that was kind of covertly taken and is doing an outstanding job. He's taking guitar lessons from Alex and he's learning church songs. How old is he? He's eight years old. That's the next generation church band. We need not stop there. God help us to cultivate a passion into our kids' lives that they want to pick up from where we leave off. One of the proudest moments in my life as a parent was the day whenever my son asked my wife and I as we were driving down the road somewhere, he said, whenever I get a little older, can I, can I play music and sing and lead worship like you two do? You couldn't give me a million dollars to take that feeling away. Because we need to be investing in tomorrow. But we can't, we can't invest in tomorrow with our words only. We have to do it with our actions. And that takes intentional parenting. That takes intentional worship. I've heard some stories recently. Since Alex is older, I get really disconnected real quick from how some of these younger kids really pay attention. But I, can, I don't know how long it was now, but Brother Josh and Sister Sarah was explaining in conversation several months ago about how uh, their kids will play church. They play church, I believe, with Mariah and Trevor. And, uh, sometimes they baptize each other. Sometimes they pray each other through. And, uh, and sometimes they're, they're just a singing and they're conducting a church service. And, and one of them, I don't remember which one it was, doesn't make any difference, but one of them was playing the keyboard and he was supposed to be me. And just ever so often he'd pick up a handkerchief and he'd, he'd wipe and he'd just keep going and then he'd... Now, from my perspective up here, I don't see anything that they do that ever gives me an inclination that they're paying attention. I wouldn't have, I would not, I'm not a betting man anyway, but I'd have never put money on the idea that they would have ever picked up on this. Especially while I was playing. Because while I'm playing, I don't do that unless I just absolutely have to. It takes enough coordination to play and sing at the same time, much less try to do that. What's your point? My point is, is they're watching you. They're watching you. Stand with me if you would this morning. They're watching. What story are we telling them? Is it important? Are we conveying to them that worship is important? Or are we expecting them to do what we don't do? Ladies and gentlemen, I close with this today and I am able to complete the series. There is a reason why we sing. There's a reason why we do what we do. Last week, I issued a 30-day challenge. If you do not listen to music that matches godly criteria to give yourself 30 days to do so. Only listen. I, I, got, I got this inspiration from K-Love. If a, if a radio station that 
doesn't advocate full truth can do this, then I believe we should be able to. 30 days. If you do not listen to any form of Christian music or if you listen to a blend of that with other things, I'm challenging you this morning to take 30 days and only set the dial to a station that matches what we've talked about this morning. The second challenge is to the seasoned church folks to deepen your worship two times the passion, intensity, and connection as it was when you started with God. If you shouted then, you ought to be shouting now. Amen. If you danced then, your dance should not stop now. It's important that we recognize something, and that is being seasoned in our walk with God and reaching a certain level of what we deem as maturity does not require us to have a stronger sense of God's presence to worship. We should not become so desensitized by maturity that he's just got to open the floodgates beyond measure for us to feel him. Spiritual maturity does not equal less worship. Carnality does. That's why we need to get in his presence. This carnal man needs to get in his presence so that I can leave a little less carnal than I was whenever I got here. I wonder if you'd lift your hands with me this morning and just start. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.